Hello, I'm Charlotte Watts. Welcome to these podcasts that were first broadcast live in my Facebook group, Charlotte Watts Calm. Hope you enjoy them. And if you want more, please look at my website, charlottewattshealth.com. Facebook Live is all about panic attacks, which is something that many of you may have experienced. And it's one of those things that sometimes you don't really need to get that full definition of whether that's, you know, what you're in or when you've had it. There's a level of getting to overwhelm and anxiety that can tip over the edge. And if that becomes a full-blown panic attack, it can get as bad as feeling like uh, you're even ha- having a heart attack. It really can be that bad. I've, and I first had one a long time ago. That was the, the sensation and the fear that I had. But it can be any real heightening coming together, a complete crescendo of the stress response where you really get caught up in those that intense excitatory tone of the nervous system so it can be palms sweating it can be muscles completely rigid it can be mind absolutely racing because one of the things that is an absolute benchmark of a panic attack is that hypervigilance it is our feeling of unsafe gone into absolute overload and what we're doing which is what we do when we're playing out any trauma stored in the body, whether that be shock trauma, something that happened at a short, sharp shock to us or developmental trauma where it was part of our conditioning, part of growing up. It doesn't need to be something that's a specific event, but it can be the kind of emotional lack of attunement, lack of attachment, even down to kind of low level, what we might call neglect or of course larger levels and abuse but what happens when we're playing out that kind of trauma or that kind of panic is that it's not appropriate for where we find ourselves at the moment usually if we're having a panic attack then yes it could be in a situation where we have attached a level of anxiety to it But very often, the level of response that we're having can be inappropriate to what is happening at that time. So for me, when I've had them, they've always just kind of seemed seemed to come out of the blue, but they have come attached or at the end of very intense periods of stress or emotional upheaval or changes in life that leave us feeling not safe, not grounded, not like our foundations are there to hold us. And for some people, certain situations do evoke panic. So it might be that something unpleasant or damaging, harmful, unsafe or actually traumatic happens in a shop or a train so that when we go near those types of situations, that hypervigilance is there as a protective mechanism just to let us know it's not safe. So we start to play out again what we perceive was happening then as a strategy to protect ourselves. But of course, that strategy is 
inappropriate for the time. And what we can do is end up kind of avoiding situations that prompt those for us. And often that can embed the story in us that going to the shop is not a safe thing, which means that we carry that load with us each time. And then that kind of exacerbate the fear of going means we don't want to. When we do go, there's a lot more fear and vigilance attached. And then we can get ourselves into quite big cycles. Whatever the cause, the underlying cause of a panic attack, one of the things that is absolutely crucial as a long-term and a short-term response is to look for safety and for grounding and for orientation. So safety is that that place that allows us to relax, to not have to protect ourselves, to think we have to go and get somewhere else. And grounding is a real sense of where we are and what is happening right now. So we can get a sense of that perspective and grounding and really start to appreciate, notice and acknowledge on a deeper level that whatever whatever fear we perceive, and most of this is, is unconscious, that it is not here now. And grounding really involves knowing a sense of our own physicality in the here and now. So the size of our feet, our legs where they are. So as I've talked about before, squeezing arms and legs, rubbing and squeezing and just patting ourselves and giving ourselves a hug. A hug really lets us know that we are safe. It can be from ourselves. It can be from someone else. But also orienting is something that we do naturally and it comes from the old part of the brain and this can go in two ways this is a response from the vagus nerve and this is polyvagal theory where we have these ingrained older responses that are part of our unconscious conditioning so they're the ones that we often lay down like before the years of about seven years old and that orientation go one or two ways. So orientation when we are in what might be called kind of you know, healthy, vagal tone, conscious um, orientation rather, is when we look around, when we sense a danger and we look around and just check out what's happening in the room. We might check out things like exits. We might check out if everyone is okay. We have that foster, that tendon befriend part of the stress response. And we might just check out things as they are. But if that is more conscious and it remains in a more kind of healthy, if you like, part of the vagus response, uh, the orientation response, then it can actually settle us and we can see that if there isn't a danger present, if we can really get a real sense of what is true right now, then we can either act in a way that is just going back to what we were doing or change things in a way that's much more considered and controlled. We might say, okay, it seems like there's something going on here. Maybe like hearing a fire alarm um, and noticing there's probably not a fire, but getting everyone out of the building calmly, for instance. If we are going to panic mode, if we start playing out traumas where it's a very, very old brain, unconscious and knee-jerk response, then that can have us go into freeze or dissociation. And that is, in, in terms of orientation, that's a, a less healthy response, if you like. It's certainly less functional for us. And orientation then when we're in that mode where we've gone into freeze and freeze can be 
where we are, don't even feel where we are. This is where grounding and knowing where our body is really comes in to start to unravel that because freeze comes with often a lack of facial expression. It can come with a lack of feeling, feeling in our bodies, feeling for the present situation because we're so stuck in that place that our body, our old brain and body perceive we are, primal being, if you like, perceives we are. We get so caught there that we really need to get that sense of where we are here and now. And dissociation is when we almost have like an out-of-body experience, we're not really here. And panic can really come with that because when we have a sense that we're not really here, when our brain cannot sense what our body is doing, where it is in that time, then that is a panicking situation for the relationship between mind and body, which are not actually separate. But when they're fragmented, that is a stressful event. And that can lead us to unsafe and to panic. So when we go into that panic or a freeze or dissociation or any of those is a flooding even and a panic attack is definitely a flooding of a huge amount of sensation all at once and maybe within the freeze response there's so many kind of different facets of this but what we need there is, is an orientation that brings us back to a more conscious level of orientation so we can start to yes notice we're safe yes we can have some level of vigilance because our bodies, our brains need that to let us know that we are paying attention, that we are looking out for ourselves. We don't, it's only when we get that listening to what's going on that we can actually soothe ourselves because we start to understand that we have that awareness. And it's aware that is the opposite thereof, beware, being on kind of, you know, heightened alert. So orienting can be really slowly padding around the room if that feels right for you. Sometimes we feel so frozen, we just want to stay in one place. But looking around the room, noticing things, even naming them. And even it might be that if someone were with you, you could ask them to ask you questions about them. So it's quite mundane, like, do you like my new lamp, for instance? Or, you know, what colour is that? And you can even ask yourself, you know, have a dialogue with yourself about this. It doesn't matter how silly it sounds to speak these things out loud. Um, whatever it, it is that gives you a sense of being here in the room and that things are real, just, you know, ridiculously, boringly real, that whatever the perception that your body is going into, which you may, you know, may not even be able to identify. That's often the thing about panic attacks that can be so difficult is that we can't identify what it is and there's nothing to solve and us human beings love things to solve but this isn't necessarily fixable at the time but what we can be is here as much as we possibly can and hold ourselves and touch our faces even get a sense of I always found everyone finds this helpful but I always find looking in the mirror quite helpful because I have this image of myself in that kind of mode where I must look really kind of almost like monk painting the screen and when I look it's actually quite mundane which is actually very reassuring to me so whatever is reassuring touch texture I always found texture very reassuring myself and actually eating I always found and I think it's because as a nutritionist I when I had a panic attack a long time ago I kind of had a quick read up and read that I, what I needed was potassium although sometimes too high potassium can also also um, provoke panic attacks of people. That's not necessarily a rule, but I found that 
having a banana was incredibly soothing to my whole system. So it's whatever feels soothing. And it might be an Epsom salts bath. Sometimes for some people, that is the only thing like submerging in water with a really soothing effect of the magnesium and the sulfates in, in Epsom salts and magnesium sulfate. So it's whatever we need personally. And if that's someone else, then elect someone. And if that's something that you've had before and you know is possible, again, then you can elect someone who might be able to talk you through it, who doesn't panic themselves, who's quite a kind of naturally grounded, earthy person who is able to have a conversation where it is about, okay, what is around you right now? And just stuff that doesn't have to be about the emotional turmoil that's going on, but is about something that's really quite, you know, pedestrian and mundane. So there are a few nutritional considerations that tend us towards panic attacks and regulating blood sugar is one of the absolute benchmarks of mental health, being able to regulate mood being able to rather than highs and lows of mood rather than having a a kind of steady wave if you like of sugar dripping into the bloodstream so that energy mood are regulated and they feel modulated that we have less likelihood of going into highs and lows that as a long term really helps then to feed into healthy sleep cycles which are again another benchmark of being able to cope with the stresses around us and not feel they get into overwhelm so if you're a person who takes on too much is not good at delegating likes to control things has difficulty with not doing is constantly looking to add something in and achieve and I completely hear you in this one then looking at those places in life where you can make more space so this tendency to overwhelm doesn't come in and that you can preempt it happening because one of the the problems about panic attacks is they can just come up so very quickly and to simply avoid situations where we might think that they are triggered isn't the answer because as I said before that can feed in to our ideas that we are not safe and certain things are not safe and to be avoided and that very much hardwires this unsafe in particularly to situations that are potentially quite safe so again maybe electing a person who you know goes shopping with you if if for instance shopping is something that really triggers you and finding ways to create a new paradigm a new story around any situations and a few notes in terms of the kind of research that's been done around panic attacks and nutrition Um, low iron levels are often associated with mood issues fatigue and panic attacks and fatigue is another thing that can tend to make us panic because it, it feels we haven't got the energy to get the things that we want to do done and it also predicates us towards caffeine and sugars things that are more likely to push us over into anxiety overwhelm and agitation B vitamins are the the group of B vitamins, water-soluble vitamins that have been shown if the levels are low. This is something particularly to watch out for if you're vegan or if you're very stressed and using up B vitamins at a rate of knots in terms of energy production or you exercise a lot. Low levels of B vitamins can make us more likely to things like paranoia and anxiety states where we're looking around to check out what what is not safe like we want to lurch onto what is not safe the nutrients that are naturally sedative so they work 
within the parasympathetic nervous system, in particular magnesium. Now, I bang on about magnesium all the time. And like I've said many times before, it's the mineral, macro mineral. We need it in large amounts. It's electrolyte mineral. So like calcium, sodium, potassium, it works on nerve impulses, electrical impulses within the body. We tend to be pretty low in it in modern diets. We need green leafy vegetables, nuts, seeds, fish, we need it in large amounts, particularly if we use it up in the stress response where we tense muscle and muscles need electrolyte minerals for them to contract and release. So we can get into a bit of a catch-22 with magnesium. And anyone who tends to chronic stress-related conditions to anxiety, insomnia, irritable bowel, and definitely panic attacks, I would definitely recommend take a huge amount of green leaf vegetables but also uh, take a magnesium supplement, magnesium citrate, up to about kind of 800 milligrams over a day. I tend to use a multivitamin with good levels of magnesium in it, like Lambert's MultiGuard, for instance, and also give extra magnesium in the evening. And I might also give that alongside taurine and L-theanine, which are amino acids, which again are, have sedative effects. They, they have an inhibitory effect on the nervous system. And in terms of magnesium as well, I've mentioned magnesium, Epsom salts baths, and also um, some people get good results from rubbing magnesium oil on them. And particularly, it's not just getting the magnesium into the body, although I, you know, I prefer to supplement to get the requisite amount in, but it is also the action of rubbing of massaging, of self-massage, which raises serotonin levels and helps us be less prone to anxiety. A couple of other B vitamins that tend to be very sedative are inositol and choline, which are uh, a little less known, um, but they are found in eggs. Uh, for those of you who are vegetarian but not vegan, um, including eggs regularly gets those uh, inositol and choline levels and alongside other B vitamins, and it's a good source of iron as well. So if you are a vegetarian, the protein source there also really helps to regulate the blood sugar levels. The other thing to look out for, which is the presence of toxic metals, which is something that I do test for with clients. Toxic metals tend to be agitative in the nervous system. So particularly things like mercury, lead, aluminium, cadmium, um, which in industrialized society are everywhere. Mercury, for instance, we can get from meeting things like tuna, uh, fillings, aluminium from cooking utensils, from foil, from often put into and things like if you use commercial sun creams. Cadmium tends can tend to be from smoking, lead smoking and pollution and maybe old pipes. But in industrialized society, you know, it's everywhere. We're in a metallized society. So it's something that you can test for, but also I would avoid eating tuna and I would avoid doing kind of metal on metal in terms of cooking utensils so not having metal spatulas and things that you you scrape in a pan for instance and to use um, glass containers rather than uh, metal ones and and use as, you know as few tinned foods as you can uh, but things like omega-3 oils chlorella B6 and magnesium also help us to move toxic metals out. But that is something that you would really need to see a nutritionist or a naturopath about to get that tested and to go through a very safe and systematic program. 
So that can be worth looking into, particularly if you have pronounced insomnia or if you have um, agitation that feels very difficult to come down from. The other thing that's incredibly important when we're in panic or anxiety is start to observe our breath. The out breath is the calming tone of the breath. So that marries with the parasympathetic nervous system, the calming tone of the nervous system. So when we go into panic, we tend to dominate on the in-breath. It can be up to hyperventilation, so you can get the first time. <laughs> so the more you can inhale deeply to prompt then a <sighs> and the exhalation and even counting the breath just to marry up the length of the inhalation with the exhalation to start nothing forced you want to push into it to create more tension but really starting to allow the out breath to at least be as long as the in breath if not longer if that naturally starts to open out but sighing out making noise can really help and ah and ooh and ah sounds anything that really helps just release the jaw and even you know make noises it's known that if you bang your foot and it hurts saying ow really helps to dissipate the tension and helps us to deal with the pain so if we're panicked and it feels like you want to make noise make some noise don't force it if it doesn't you know it can could worsen it if that's not doesn't feel right for you but yes just do what feels right if you want to lay on the ground go in a fetal position try to do what feels safe i'm just noticing a question here from um trista said, would you suggest avoiding any processed foods such as biscuits? Yes. Biscuits in particular, I mean, that's the kind of wheat and sugar combination. Wheat, it's kind of, you know, something that is actually has a better research behind it than many people imagine. But the gluten in wheat does affect serotonin levels on the gut wall. So it can affect how we cope with stress. And sugar is always an issue in how we are able to cope with stress. It is agitative, it raises beta endorphin, so it gives us a quick happy, but then ultimately it gives us a crash afterwards. So we tend to get those highs and lows of blood sugar and more cravings that basically feed into anxiety cycles. I'm just looking for any questions here. So just as any organic essential oils to recommend. Lavender is the kind of my go-to calming essential oil again essential oils are incredibly personal so some things have sedative effects lavender in particular i find citrus incredibly calming although it does have energizing qualities but sometimes actually a lot of my panic is the fact that i did have chronic fatigue in the past and actually slipping back into fatigue states for me is pretty darn panicking so in terms of essential oils i would go and really check out what you respond to, what makes you feel safe, because like sound, smell is incredibly evocative and it's incredibly personal. It's one of the many reasons I don't use music within yoga uh, teaching or practice. I certainly don't want that distraction. I want to be with myself uh, and the practice, but also because it's such a personal thing. It can, you know, sound, smell, any sensory input can take us back to any kind of subliminal unconscious time so for some people you know whatever just makes you feel happy you know some smell of your childhood or you know whatever makes you feel safe then go with it 
So that's a kind of roundup. And I want to just be clear there that um, as a, a little synopsis, that breath is one of the most important things. It's one of the reasons that kind of the restorative yoga positions where we really can start to be in held positions and focus on feeling the body held, supported and able to focus on releasing on the exhalation to have that practice in our lives means that if something comes up where we're tending to go into that up regulated panic breath then we already have some familiarity with starting to drop into a wider exhalation and just a note there side note because i didn't mention it before restorative yoga has very good research behind it in helping vagal tone helping us to increase our self-soothing mechanisms and regulation of blood pressure and thus the stress response. So safety, orientation and grounding, that is feeling your body where it is, hugging yourself, giving yourself squeezes and really looking around the room, just getting a bit mundane, pick things up, look at them, notice things that you're interested in, things that you like, textures, something that with your senses brings you back into the here and now. And do send any more questions through. We can keep discussing this in the Facebook group. And hopefully that's been helpful to you. And goodbye.